The three Christian, great Christian virtues we talked about last week, and our life is evident as the writer writes here to these Hebrew Christians. We saw one of those virtues is faith. We saw that in verse 22 of chapter 10. We saw that he talked about the hope that we must have in him and him alone. We saw that in verse 23. And then we also saw the love that we need to have for him that he has for you. We see in verse 24. And that this is the fruit of our faithfulship with God in his heavenly sanctuary. This is what will be produced out of our lives as you come in with that boldness, that perfect boldness, that allowance for us to be boldly coming into the throne in the presence of God. That when we spend time, that intimacy with God, because it's an intimate relationship, it's not some, some organization kind of relationship, it's not some contractual relationship or some legal relationship that I'm forced to do, but no, I freely be able to come now into the presence of God because Jesus Christ made a way, a perfect access for us to do that. And when that happens and when you're spending time with him in this intimacy, there's going to be this, this, these beautiful virtues, these, this fruit in the fellowship with God will bear. You'll, your faith will be so deep with him that nothing this world or even in your own mind in the past will shake your faith in who Jesus Christ is and who he is as a savior to you. Your, your, the compassion, the, the love that you know that your heavenly father has for you. The fact that the Holy Spirit dwells within you and is strengthening you to help you to walk and to help you in this walk as a Christian. And that faith will be so deep that the hope that you have is in such eternal perspective versus the, 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 the miry things that happen, the craziness that happens. They, your hope is really is heavenly bound because that is where our home is. Not here. Our heavenly sanctuary is in heaven. And we know that the love is unconditional, that agape love that he is pouring out into your life. And we too want to have that same love, a fruit of the Spirit, bear from our life. And that comes with intimacy with your, your Savior. It, you will not have the faith, the hope, and the love in your life as a Christian if you're not dwelling in the heavenly bounds of, of, of boldness, of just that, that open access to Christ on a personal level, on a day-to-day -day basis. If you're not doing it, you're not going to experience those things. You're going to live in this quasi-Santa life as a Christian is never comfortable, never good. We must boldly move forward. We just cannot stay still because you're never really staying still. You're really kind of loosely falling back. So here in, at the end of chapter 10, and much like chapter 6 when we studied that section, has caused, caused terror in the hearts of many Christians. But as we look and we look and see, it's, it's really a wonderful warning to the Christians as this writer writes to these Christian, uh, 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 Hebrew Christians, it's a wonderful warning to each believer. Because remember, we have five different warnings in the book of Hebrews. We have touched on three of them. We're touching on the fourth one today. But if you remember, one of the warnings was that a believer who begins to drift from the word, back there in Hebrews chapter 2, verses 1 through 4, if we begin to drift from the word of God, we will soon start to doubt the word of God. We see that warning and that uh, the effects of that there in Hebrews chapter 3 and 4. 
And soon we will become dull toward the word of God. We'll become very dull. It is not going to speak to your hearts like it used to. We see and study that in Hebrews chapter 5 through uh, chapter 6 verse 20. And then we become lazy in his or her spiritual life. Laissez faire. <laughs> Take it or leave it. No big deal to me. If, yeah, if it's in the, you know, my schedule today, yeah, I can make it into church maybe. I used to be committed there. I love sitting down and looking, reading my devotion and reading the word of God. You know, you become lazy. Why? Because the number one concern is that you become more concerned or loving the cares of this world has crept into your life. And ultimately, that laziness will come to a result of despising the word altogether. I want nothing to do with the word of God. That's the slippery slope that people find themselves in. And we have been reading about our faithful and merciful, perfect high priest, Jesus Christ. We read that we can come boldly into his throne of grace, that the veils had been removed and ripped from top to bottom by God and giving us this perfect access to the Heavenly Father, to the very holy of holies and of the heavenly sanctuary for this goodness and the grace of God for us. Today, the writer warns those Christian believers, those, Christian, those Hebrew uh, Christians, of a, another warning today. Not to mess around with this relationship that you started with, with God. We will see through the wonderful warning, warnings that which will take effect in people in two different ways. They can either be intimately or intimidated or intimidating in a way that you paralyzes you, or it can be in very inviting. It can choose to live in this a fearfulness of a relationship with God, or you can live by faith with God. And it's your decision how you're going to live that life. When a person hears that the warning signs are everywhere, a news junkie, the snow is coming, the snow is coming, oh, Tug Hill is going to be terrible, and oh, you buckle, you know, stay home, it's all these warnings. There's two different, two different types of people when you hear that. When you read that on News Junkie, what happens? One is like, oh no, don't get in the car. We're staying home. Do we have food and shelter? I mean, oh, well, this is going to be terrible. We're never going to make it through the storm. The other half is saying, yes, we're going skiing. Yes, we're snowmobiling. Yes, we are going to have a great time. There's two different points of view when you hear about the warning of a snow blizzard coming. But there's also another warning. When someone talks about and hears that Jesus Christ is coming back soon and will be rapturing the church out of here and taking us home. We have two different types of people when they hear that warning of soon and very soon what will happen is Jesus coming back for his church. It will cause fearfulness in some. And it will build up your faith and get you so excited by the others. The question is, how is that warning to you today? Does it bring about a fearfulness? Or does it bring great joy of building up the faith knowing that your Savior's coming back for you? 
That's what the writer is doing here today. The writer is going to speak to these Hebrew Christians to warn them again, the fourth of five warnings in the book of Hebrews, about make sure you're living rightly in regards to God. We see here, right in the very beginning here, chapter 10, verse 26, the talks about the danger of a willful rejection of Jesus' perfect sacrifice for us. It says right here, for if we sin willfully, after we have received the knowledge of the truth, there no longer remains a sacrifice for sins. But a certain fearful expectations of judgment and fiery indignation which will devour the adversaries. Verse 28. Anyone who has rejected Moses' law dies without mercy on the testimony of two or three witnesses. Oh, how much worse punishment do you suppose will he be thought worthy who has trampled the Son of God underfoot counted the blood of the covenant by which he has sanctified a common thing and insulted the spirit of grace. Verse 30, For we know him who said, Vengeance is mine, I will repay, says the Lord. And again, the Lord will judge his people. Verse 31, It is a fearful thing to fall into the hands of the living God. Tough verses here. Because as we take a look at this, this this thing that the writer talks about, the sin willfully. He's speaking to these Hebrew Christians and saying, these, if, you, if you go back and you start sinful, you know, sinning willfully in your life, as defined in verse 29, and he actually gives them a definition of that. Those who have just trampled the sons of God underfoot, counted the blood of, of Jesus Christ as like a common thing. It's no big deal. Insulted the spirit of Christ, of, of the spirit of grace. It is a knowing, deliberate rejection of Jesus' great work for us on the cross. He says, the writer says, don't go down this path. Don't be turning around because remember these, these Hebrew Christians that he's talking about were looking to walk away from the, this, the, the, the fact that you're saved based on Jesus Christ, the faith in Jesus Christ and what he's done on the cross and him and him alone is now looking to go back to religiosity and go back to the old covenant way and start sacrificing the bulls and the goats and all these things to help them feel right with God. To somehow, through their efforts, through their work, through their religiosity, that somehow will make it right with God. They don't don't understand any longer the understanding or concrete understanding with a foundation that Jesus paid for it all. It is finished. It's complete. So put your faith, complete faith in him. This, This sense of every sin is a willful sin is true. Because here the writer to the Hebrews spoke of something more severe and relevant to these discouraged these Jewish Christians who contemplated a retreat back into Judaism. 
to go back into that sacrificial system to help justify their faith. They were turning back on Jesus. And so the warning here is to them, don't even think about that. Don't even contemplate on that. Don't even go down that path. If Jesus' sacrifice for sin is rejected, there remains no other sacrifice can cleanse a person from their guilt and sin. There is no other way. Why would you go back to a religious system that could not do it? How much worse punishment would come upon you as a believer? The writer says, if anyone does reject Jesus' sacrifice, fearful judgment is certain, even more certain than any under the old covenant way. If we sin willfully, after you've received the knowledge of truth, we're rejecting Jesus' work on the cross as being sufficient to save you. To cleanse you completely. To that has placed you in the right standing with God. If you were starting to reject that. As a believer. As a child of God. Your heavenly father will discipline you as a child. You will be disciplined. We're not talking about loss of salvation. We're talking about discipline. Now some believe when you read these scriptures, there were three camps of believers, supposedly. Those who believed completely, and they would never do this. They would never start rejecting, never go back to the old sacrificial system. Some believe that what they're talking about in these, these first part of the verses here from 26 to 31, we're speaking to believers who knew of God, knew about the truths of God, and that's who the writer's writing to. That's like me saying to you right here, there's this group here that completely sold out, knows who Jesus Christ, would never ever think about going against the word of God and who Jesus Christ is. Some of you might be sitting here today and say, I know the truths about God. I've read the truths. I've, I've been given the truths. My, my grandmother taught me. My mother taught me. My dad's taught me. I know enough. But you haven't really surrendered your life completely, individually, to Jesus Christ as your Lord and Savior. You're just playing religion. You're just kind of showing up when you're made to come. Because it makes your dad and mom happy. Or makes grandma happy. And as we go through the scriptures, some, some of the scriptures are going to speak to maybe even those who are showing up. That you think they're believers, but they don't want anything to do with the truth of God. They're just here because it makes their spouse happy. But they could care less. That was like me, you know, before I got saved. Catholic was Catholic. I, the only reason why I went to Catholic faith is one reason, one reason only. To make mama happy. My, my wife's happy. It was much better being in the household. So I could go and sit there and watch them and follow along the rules. And it was pretty consistent. 
<laughs> I can, I can, as, a, as a heathen, I can really figure out, all you have to do is A, B, C, D, E. It will be exactly the same way every Sunday, even though we only went maybe once every, whatever. It could be speaking, the, the scripture today might be speaking to you because you've kind of figured out, if we show up just after 10, and the music's already playing. I just have to stand there, and I just have to listen to this guy, and hopefully he won't go as long as he normally does. And then, he, and then afterwards, we leave just before everyone can even say hi to me because we're back out that door, and I don't have to talk to anybody. It might be you that's, that the Scripture's talking to you today. But the writer is speaking directly to all of our hearts because we're all capable of getting in our heads and start pondering on things that are not are true. Even though you are solid in your understanding of the scripture. So the writer's writing here and he's really trying to bring across to them the understanding that when you willfully sin, you're like trampling the Son of God underfoot. We disgrace him by rejecting his greatest work. His, we devalue him by devaluing, devaluing what he did for you and I on that cross. That is very arrogant attitude. That's a person who has a very arrogant attitude toward God. Or it could be counted the blood of the covenant as a common thing. I don't know what's a big deal. He died on the cross. What's this blood thing? I don't know what you're talking about. We consider Jesus' blood of no greater of importance than the countless... It's like, just like, it's like the animal's blood. It's no big deal. Go back to sacrificial system. It's no Judaism. The blood of the, the bulls and the goats and stuff and Jesus' blood, it's the same. It's just blood. That's the attitude of the people here. Or how about the insult of the Spirit of grace? We offend the Holy Spirit who dwells within you as a believer. Whose purpose it is to present Jesus and his work to us. That's the purpose of the Holy Spirit. We see that in John chapter 16 verses 8 through 15. And when we reject Jesus and his finished work on the cross and on, on our behalf... We're literally insulting the spirit of, of grace. And then what does it happen? This is the part that people sometimes take out of context, and that is verse 30. For we know him who said, vengeance is mine, I will repay, says the Lord. Who is he talking to? Not the enemies, not our enemies. Many times we'll sit there and say, oh, vengeance is the Lord. I'm not doing anything. And you're talking to some non-believer and someone who's coming against you. No, the scripture saying, vengeance is mine, says the Lord, for those the Lord will judge his people. He's talking about you, the believers, us, me. For those who are sitting there going, I want nothing, and start rejecting of, of the things of God and what he's been, has done in your life, be very careful. God does not always take the life of a rebellious believer. But he always deals with him correctly and justly. Ask King David. Here's a man that we see in the scriptures after God's own heart. 
But his consequences of his sin willfully against God resulted in some traumatic problems within his life and his family's life, and it went from generation to generation. Even if you go back and you read the accounts for David, he knew that because he was sinfully, willfully sinned, he deserved, based on the scripture, he was supposed to die. But what does the scripture say? He cried out mercifully, knowing that God, please have mercy on my soul. Have mercy on me, because I know I deserve to die because I'm, I'm willfully sinning against you. And God showed mercy. That's the right heart though, right? David repented. He came and asked for God's mercy because he recognized he sinned willfully against the things of God. And he knew better. He knew. But not only do we see the fact that God doesn't always deal with us and his children in a, in a way where he just says, you know, you as a Christian, you've been representing me for years and now you're just walking away. You're just coming almost like an enemy against me, talking about the things of God. Have you ever seen that happen? It's shocking, is it not? This person's wrote multiple books. He's been out there in the speaking circuits. He's done this and this, representing God. And all of a sudden, something happens. And now he's out there saying there's no such thing as you know, Jesus Christ and dying on the cross. Completely opposite. What happened? How do you go from a, being a poster child and writing multiple books, and now you're a poster child saying that, you did, that, that that's a nothing? There's no such thing as, as God. You don't think there's going to be consequences? That's why he says vengeance is mine. But when I see that vengeance is mine, I will repay. Yes, there's this fearfulness that can come across in people's minds when you hear that. But those who love Jesus and is following Jesus and wants nothing to do with the old life and nothing to do with it, you just completely have surrendered your life to Jesus. That brings a whole different perspective. Your face sits there and says, it's a wonderful thing to fall into the hand, his hands for cleansing and restoration because you know God is a merciful God. I know I can fall into the hands of my Savior because he has done the cleansing and restoration of my life of his mercy and his grace. Fearfulness does not come over me because I want to stay so close to my Savior that I never have to think fearfully about how he's going to judge me or work with me or discipline me as a child of God. I can just freely just love him and just fall into his hands when I fall short and I miss the mark at times. And I don't, I'm not obedient to what he's asked me to do. It may not be sinful, I'm just not obedient or immediate obedience. But I, you and I, as a believer, can literally sit there and one day we will face God. And we can fall into his arms based on his mercy and his grace. Because your faith knows who your God is. Verse 32. 
the writer now brings these believing these 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 Jewish believers, these Hebrew Christians. Listen, look at what he says now to them. He he says now. I know you're really discouraged because we've been talking about that the last few Sundays, how you can be very discouraged as a Christian in this walk and trying to struggle through this whole thing, right? He says now, but recall. This is very important as a Christian. But recall the former days in which after you were illuminated, you endured a great struggle with sufferings. Partly while you were made a spectacle of both by reproaches and tribulations. And partly while you become companions of those who were so treated. For you had compassion on me in my chains. And joyfully accepted the plundering of your goods. Knowing that you have a better and an enduring possession for yourselves in heaven. So he says, here's the warning, but let me bring you back to, don't get stuck in the warning. Don't get stuck in the fearfulness. Let's bring you back to faith here. And he says, but recall how you walked with the Lord at one point in your walk. Remember how you were on fire for Jesus? How much you just were sharing the gospel with people ever you want to talk to? Do you remember you were so devoted your life to Jesus that you found yourself here after that illumination, that God illuminated his truths to you. You understand who he was. Look at, you endured incredible struggles being a Christian now. Walking away from the Judaism and now being devoted to Jesus. Did you notice the great struggles and sufferings that God brought you through? Because of the, the fact that you devoted your life to Jesus Christ as your Lord and Savior? Look at, Parley was, remember, you were a spectacle. You were reproached and tribulation came against you and everyone watched your life and they said, that is a devout Christian. That person really believes what they believe. They're willing to go through all kinds of being like in a fishbowl, people seeing your whole life and all these tribulations and all these things going in your life and you stayed steadfast in your relationship with Jesus. How about that? You also were companions. You even hung around Christians who loved Jesus. You came and showed compassion to me as a writer. This writer was was in jail for their faith and he was willing to the, these Hebrew believers were willing to come and support and help them while he was in jail so you weren't willing to say yeah I'm a Christian but I don't tell anybody just don't let anyone know at work just keep that a secret I don't know how you figure that out I was a Christian but let me just keep that quiet so no one else knows no you were willing to make it known because your faith and your hope and your love was a fruit of the fellowship you have with God personally. You will find yourself, you will want to be around other devoted Christians. Not in name only. Not in, as a CEO, Christmas, Easter, and other special occasions. But your compassion was even for him, the writer, in chains. And you joyfully accepted the plundering of your goods. People even came and took things from you of value. That's what was happening to Christians back in those days. 
found out you were walked away from the Judaism and you walked away and started following Jesus, you lost jobs, you lost your house, you lost any way of making a, lively, live, a livelihood. This had a huge impact. And our brothers and sisters are, today are so true over in other countries. You go from a Muslim faith to the Christian faith, they lose everything. They're at the edge of being persecuted and heads taken off. And that's how they live for Jesus, because they're devoted to Jesus, because they know it's true. Because the truth has been illuminated to them. This is not some religious thing you do. This is a devout relationship to Jesus Christ as their Lord and Savior. Persecution will separate the goats from the sheep. Persecution is going to separate you who's been just hanging around but not giving your life to Jesus Christ. You won't hang around other Christians when it comes persecution. Matter of fact, the scripture tells us a great falling away of Christians at the end times. Because you, you, you care for the things of this world more than your relationship with the Lord. You care more about yourself, is what the writer's saying here, is going to cause discipline upon you as a believer. It will cause conviction for those, certainly if you're not a believer. My prayer and hope is, if you're hearing this message today, and you're hearing the Holy Spirit speak to you, and you're not a believer, today's the day you don't mess around anymore. You surrender your life to Jesus Christ completely. Because there is no other way. Are you with me? It's your decision. The full responsibility is on you. Not me. Not your family. Not your friends. The decision is held wholly for you. The age of accountability. So we see here there can be great struggles that this, you can go through as a Christian. And the writer is encouraging them, saying, remember, 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 this is how you lived your life for Christ. You were just sold out completely. Why are you taking a step back? Why are you relaxing? Why are you getting dull to the, and doubting the word of God? Why are you becoming desensitized? Why could you take or leave it kind of attitude? Why are you allowed that to come back in your life? The answer is what? There's one answer. You and I are have decided to sin willfully. And that's why you're walking away. That's why you're changing the way you see how you live for Christ. It's, that's what sin will do to people. That's why you can't allow that to be in your life. As soon as the Lord shows it to you, you've got to repent of it and get it out quick. Change course. Let it go. You cannot, and I cannot afford anything to dwell in our life that goes is not pleasing to the Lord. And we see that as the writer will talk about here. He says in verse 35, Therefore, do not cast away your confidence... Which, was, which has great reward. Do you know when you're, you as a believer going to heaven, you're going to be rewarded for the faith in Jesus Christ? You're going to be rewarded. Why would you walk away from that? 
For you had need of endurance, so that after you have done the will of God, you may receive the promise. For yet a little while, and he who is coming will come, and will not tarry. He's not going to hold back, he's coming. He's coming for you. Yes, you as a believer, he's coming for you. Verse 38, now the just shall live by faith. No longer will you walk and live by fearfulness. Walk by faith. But if anyone draws back, my soul has no pleasure in him. It does not please our God when we walk away from God. There's sometimes there's relationships, we have relationships that they just seem so close, but they walk away from you. They just walk away from you. You're like, what happened? What, what, what did they? Something has caused them to be distracted, to draw the, uh, them away from that relationship. It can happen within a, a marriage, it can happen within a family unit, it can happen within a church. It can happen in all kinds. It doesn't please God when we choose to walk away from faith and move into more fearfulness or more away from the things of God and we draw back from Him. It says, my soul has no pleasure in Him. It doesn't please me. But 30, Verse 39. But we are not of those. I love that. I love how the writer says to these Christian believers, but this does not speak to you because we are not those people who draw back to perdition, but of those who believe to the saving of the soul. Let's talk a little bit more about this. These discouraged Christians were in danger of casting away their confidence, their full confidence in who Jesus Christ is. They were relapsing, going back to the old covenant way, back to the sacrificial system to try to earn their way to please God. I can do it my way. I want to do it my way. I need to have control how I'm going to have this all happen. It's a, it's, a, it's a pride of life. It's an arrogance that can come upon people. Especially when they're really knowledgeable of the word of God. They can become very self-righteous. And so what happens is, as a writer is saying, as a discouraged Christian, keep moving forward with Christ. Don't find yourself going back and walking away from the confidence in Jesus. Don't go back to some old system that is dead and gone. Stick with the, the new covenant way. Because you need this endurance to continue to walk in this faith. The race is long at times. 
It feels long. It's like you feel like you're not going to make it to the finish line. But if you need that endurance, God's going to give you the endurance. No one else is going to give you that endurance. You need that endurance to receive the promise of God after we have done the will of God. We have promises that we know that there are going to be rewards in heaven. The toughest and the most discouraging tales or trails that we find ourselves, paths we find ourselves on, is challenged when we are not fulfilling the promises or being obedient to God, being in God's will where that fulfillment of those promises that he says for you are just slips away. It makes it very difficult as a Christian to walk. This is why we need endurance, faithfulness during the time when the promise seems so unfulfilling, unable to even measure or, or to be able to do the obedience or spiritual maturity. How am I going to grow? How am I going to make it through all this? We get so wrapped up in that, we can sometimes get so discouraged. You say, I give up. I thought I, I was walking with God. I thought I was going to do this. I, I thought everything was going well, but it's just not working out the way I wanted to and the timing I wanted to and how I wanted to. And why is he testing me? And it's in those times where if you just stay focused on him and who he is and what he has done for you, and, and asking and seeking after for God's will for your life. Continue to do that. He is not going to hide that from you. And he will bring you, and through the word of God, the promises out that come along with that. And it will give you the endurance to continue to walk with him. Because he is faithful. You know why we're able to walk in endurance? Because he is faithful. He's never going to leave you or forsake you. You've got to keep your eyes on Jesus. This endurance is, to, is built up through trials. It's built up through these testings that come your way. We see that in James chapter 1, verses 2 through 4. That is how when God allows these trials and tribulations and things to happen in your life, it's to build up your faith. It's to help you in, 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 for that endurance for you to be able to do it. How do you get better at running? Is by or any, any sport. By testing you and testing you and testing you. Game after game. Race after race after race. It builds your endurance up. Practice after practice after practice. You don't not practice and then think you're going to have the endurance of those who have practiced. That's, that's insanity. You quickly figure that out once you're in the race. That you don't have the endurance like others. Because you haven't been tested. That's why now the just shall live by faith. We must follow in the footsteps of the just who will live by faith. And looking for those promises to be fulfilled. He speaks here from Habakkuk chapter 2, verse 4. Now, some of you may not realize, and I'll give it to you from an understanding how important this is. The writer writes to this because in Habakkuk 2, 4, three times in the New Testament is referenced back to Habakkuk 
2.4. The first one is Romans 1.17. Paul quotes this same passage from Habakkuk with an emphasis on faith. When he writes it there in Romans, it's all about the faith. The just shall live by faith. In Galatians chapter 3, verse 11, Paul quotes this passage again from Habakkuk at 2.4 with an emphasis on just. The just shall live by faith. And then here in Hebrews 10.38, the emphasis on, is on the live. The just shall live by faith. Go back and you read Romans and Galatians and Hebrews on each of these occasions and you see why he emphasizes the point. That's why many people believe the writer of Hebrews is Paul. We must live our faith. And he emphasizes, the writer emphasizes that we are not of those who draw back to perdition. Perdition is seen 20 times. This word is 20 times in the New Testament. We see it used in pretty consistently when you look at it. It can mean perish. It could mean die. It could mean destruction. It can mean eternal judgment. And it can mean waste. I lean toward, when I read that and see that word, it applies to the word, the best word to be applied here is waste. I believe waste is the best translation because a believer who does not walk by faith, but in fearfulness, goes back into the old ways, tries to think how they can figure out to do it their own way in pleasing God. They're wasting his or her life. You're literally wasting your life where you could be doing so much more for Christ if you would just follow him simply. A believer who does not walk by faith but in fearfulness is wasting their Christian life. I've witnessed people in the ministry of 25 years, who turned their backs on God's will. They knew God's will for their life. They knew. There was no question and they were pursuing it, but they chose to turn away from God's will because they wanted to feel like they were missing something out in this world. Or it was too difficult. They didn't like the trials and tribulations. They did not like to be around people who were being persecuted and you were being persecuted because of their faith in Jesus Christ. You didn't like doing the things that were, I didn't get to live wherever I wanted to live. I don't get to do whatever I want to do because you were living sold out for Christ and doing whatever his will was for your life. Like Israel. Israel did not want to do God's will and they spent years wandering in the wilderness of waste. So I want to encourage you, my brothers and sisters, as the writer is encouraging them, don't sway away from what you know. It's been illuminated to you. You know the truth of God. And if you do not stay in the will of God, you're wasting your Christian life. And you will, be, you will not be filled with the joy and the peace that God talks about 
It will be a miserable Christian life. We must follow by faith. At the very end there, he says, the saving of the soul. The saving of the soul is opposite of waste. To walk by faith means to obey God's word and to live for Jesus Christ. You will not waste this life that God has given you by his grace and mercy. What what does God have planned for me? Seek after him. He's going to show you his will. Trust in the Lord with all your heart. And lean not on your own understanding. But in all of your ways acknowledge him and he shall direct what? Your paths. He will show you and direct your and guide your life. Because as we walk by faith, our perfect high priest will guide us perfect. Perfectly. He will guide us and perfect us. And he will guide us and there will be a peace that you can't even, you can't even put words to it. Because you're walking by faith.